What encouraging words from that song. And indeed, what a glorious day it will be when our Savior comes back to fetch us. This morning, oh, morning, this evening, first October, then morning. Hopefully I can get through the message today. So this evening we are starting a new series, and the series is going to be called Church Matters. Church Matters. And yes, it is a play of words because I want us to know that the church does matter. But as I tell you that the church matters, I also will be telling you about the matters of the church. So the series will be a short one, just a three-part series on church matters. Now, why are we starting a series on church matters? Because I believe that we have something great brewing here at Central. I believe that God is really working something. We are growing a little community that seems to be loving each other. There's a following that's also developing online. There's something brewing here. And I wanted to remind us, before it continues to brew, of wait a minute, what is the church? Because as we continue to grow, it's easy to blur the lines and enjoy our company for things that don't necessarily matter when it comes to our souls. So I've decided to a short part series on church matters, and also it's coming from Tim's message on our identity in Christ. And now that you know who you are in Christ, what does that look like when you go on to live with others? So you might have heard these words before. You might have heard somebody say that the church has failed or that the church is failing. Many say that because the church is failing, the church needs new methods, it needs new strategies of reaching the world of the gospel of Christ, and the church is narrow-minded, and therefore it is not progressive. The church is not loving as they should be, and therefore the church is failing. Now, when I read this and when I heard this, I, I had to ask myself, if, if this is the case, if, if, if this is the standards by which we say that the church is failing, what then is God's standards? What is the measure of success or failure in the church? And I want to start off just with this one liner to, to even begin, and I want you to know that the only way that the church fails is if she neglects the Word of God. The only way the church fails is if she neglects the gospel of Christ and takes on something else. The church will fail to make the manifold wisdom of to make known the manifold wisdom of God if God's word is misused or neglected. In fact, wolves will thrive in the church, and in fact, wolves are thriving in the church today because of biblical illiteracy. The church of Christ succeeds in her mission if she's faithful to the word of God. If she upholds, if she proclaims, if she lives the Bible, then she will honor God in her task because it is the word of God that contains the gospel. It is the word of God that sanctifies us. It is the word of God that governs our lives. It is the word of God that guides us to righteousness. So tonight, however, I want us to explore the question, what is a gospel community? 
what is a gospel community, and basically I'll be defining what is a church. So turn with me in Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll read from verses 11 to verse 22. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verse 11 to verse 22. Verse 11 reads, Therefore remember that at one point you, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both in God both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray even as we go through your word, that Father, you would Lord, settle my own mind and my own heart to speak as clear as I can the truths of God. I pray, Father, that I wouldn't be a distraction, Lord, from what you are looking to do tonight. And I do pray that you would communicate your truth clearly to those who are gathered here this evening. Father, I pray that you give us clarity about what is this body of yours, the church? And God, help us to love the church, for God, you love the church greatly. The church is your bride. So I pray, Father, as well, that if there's one here this evening, or even more, who are not a part of this church, who are not a part of your body, oh Lord, won't you save them by your, by your word and by your spirit. Lord, draw them to yourself that they too may be joined into the household of God and can enjoy the benefits that come with being the children of God who are part of the family of God. But Lord, I pray even as this community continues to grow, that Father would be a community that centers on the gospel and centers on Christ. And I pray, Father, that you'd help me, Lord, to explain this well as we go through your word this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.
So the first thing I would like us to notice this evening is, I changed the first word, conversion precedes gospel community. Conversion precedes gospel community. So what Paul does in verses 11 to verse 13 is Paul reminds us that true gospel communities are made up of, in, of individuals who have been regenerated, individuals who have been born again to a living hope through faith in Christ Jesus. This gospel community, Paul wants us to know, that this is a community that is a supernatural community made up of people who have a new identity, as Tim spent three weeks telling us. This new identity is in Christ because it is Christ who has bought us with his blood and his spirit is transforming us from the inside, making us more like Christ. Paul has explained from chapter 1 what is required to be a part of this gospel community. In in chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In verse 14, he says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In verse 15 of chapter 1, he shares that it is our faith that leads us to loving those in our communities. Loving communities are made up of those who have faith in God. So, regeneration leads to faith. Faith leads to love for God. And a love for God leads to a love for the church, which is his body. But Paul will then go on in chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, to remind us that we were not born in gospel communities. He tells us in these verses that we were actually born spiritually dead. We were outside of the church. We were enemies of Christ. We were opponents of his kingdom work. We were deceived by our former master who was the spirit that is now at work at the sons of disobedience. You see, what I want us to know this evening is that true gospel communities are not made up of aesthetics. Now, I feel like as, con- as conservative as we are, when we think aesthetics, we automatically go to smoke and lights. Aesthetics is also vibe. Aesthetics is also a beautiful building. I want you to know that true gospel communities are not made up of aesthetics. They're not made up of eloquent speakers. They're also not made up of the similarities we share amongst each other. But these communities are made by Christ, who is their head. See, the first time the word church is introduced in the New Testament, it is introduced in Matthew 16, verse 18, when Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Church, the church belongs to Christ. The church is being built by Christ. The church is the temple which will be completed by Christ. The church is not buildings. The church is not organizations. The church is not institutions. 
but rather the church is made up of regenerate, born-again believers who have made the same confession as Peter did in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus asked him this question. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you believe in your, heart, in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? If yes, it, you help us make a kingdom community. If no, then you don't. See, in case you're missing what I'm saying, I will clarify. No one is born a member of the universal church of God. No one is born a member of the church. So attending church faithfully, Growing up in the church, giving to the church, or even serving to the church does not make you a member of Christ's bride, the church. The truth is you could do all these things and still be of your father, the devil. Paul would say in chapter 2, if you are one of those who believe that doing these things would would make you a part of the church. Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 4 to 9, he's writing to you tonight, so please listen carefully. In verse 4 of chapter 2, Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. How did he make us alive? By grace you have been saved. In verse 6, he says, He then raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So in verse 7, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus did for us and not about what I can do for Jesus. We see this in verse 8. Verse 8 says, It is by grace, undeserved favor, that you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that anyone may boast. And from there, the Apostle Paul brings us to our passage tonight where Paul is now writing to those who know what is required to be kingdom saints, those who know the requirements of being members of the kingdom of God. In our passage, Paul now is changing his attention, and he's speaking to you, and he's speaking to me, and he says to you, remember, you were once uncircumcised at heart. You were once separated from Christ. You, you were alienated and you were a stranger to the covenants of promise. Remember, O oh Christian, that you at one point had no hope without God in the world, but now, but now in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? John MacArthur helpfully writes, Nothing more inspires gratitude in a saved sinner than a look back to the pit from which he has come. 
You see, it is because of Christ that we have been redeemed into the kingdom of light. We have been born again to the family of God. We are saved from living in death to living in life, to living in life. So therefore, Christian, all who are in the household of faith have been born into the family of God, and it is you who makes up the church. The body of Christ, the temple of God, is made up of living stones. And these living stones is everyone throughout the ages who has believed in Jesus and in Jesus alone for the salvation of their soul. Now I want us to consider the two expressions of the church before we close tonight. And the first thing I want us to consider is that gospel community is both universal and local. Gospel community is both universal and local. In verses 14 to 22, we see the Apostle Paul, 21, the Apostle Paul talks to us about the universal church. Again, the universal church is made up of believers from every generation, from every language, from every nation, from every ethnicity, and from every gender. When you hear all these differences, you must ask yourself, how is it that all these different people can come together and make one body and live in unity? He tells us from verse 14. He says, but he himself, Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. In verse 16, he says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. That which was once divided has now become one. The Jew and the Gentile can now be united because of the cross. Now Paul drives home the idea. That the very real hostility and differences, the very ugly hostility between the Jew and the Gentile was, was broken by God in order to help us understand the glorious healing power of the gospel to reconcile man to God and man to man. Paul goes through the painful task of, of explaining this hostility between the Jew and the Gentile to help us see how God, through his gospel, can unite that which is broken apart. Now, to make it more practical for us, what are the strongest hostilities or conflicts between people groups that you have personally witnessed or that you are aware of? I'll give us a few. You might have heard, you might have witnessed, or you might have learned about the hostility between the white man and the black man in South Africa and around the world. You might have heard about the bloody history of the Hutu and the Tutsi, which was a conflict which stained the 20th century. You might have heard of the Anglo-Boer War. You might have heard of the conflict that was between the Zulus and the, and the Khosas. You might have heard or still hearing about the Arab-Jewish hostilities that have plagued the Middle East. 
You might have also heard about the long-standing tensions between the Japanese and the Chinese. These all and many more are examples of societal raptures that have seemed to be irreconcilable. Seemed to be irreconcilable. Such was the division between the Gentile and the Jew in Paul's day. He had witnessed and he personally known in his own heart what seemed to be rooted in his very DNA and his culture. The Jews taught that the Gentiles were unclean. It was not lawful for a Jew to help a Gentile woman giving birth. Listen to why. For that would bring another heathen into the world. This is what's happening in Paul's mind when he's talking about the Gentile and the Jew. In Paul's day, there were only two ethnicities, or at least popular ethnicities, or they made these two groups where it was Jew and Gentile. And these two also had societal raptures that seemed to be irreconcilable. But God, but God, Jesus himself is our peace. He hasn't simply made peace. He himself is our peace. Christ, in his sacrificial work on the cross, reconciles man to God, but praise God that he also reconciles man to man. He himself has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility so that all who are far off can gather together as one in the name of the one true God, Jesus Christ. What seemed irreconcilable is reconcilable by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then, how do we keep the gospel of grace from being perverted by self-righteousness? How do we keep the living temple of Christ from becoming an organization of spiritual segregation and partiality? He tells us from verse 18, but I've made it three points. Firstly, how do we do this? Remember how we got in. Remember how you became a member of the, of the church of Christ. In verse, verse 18, he tells us how we got in. He says, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The second thing, remember we are family. In verse 19, he says, so then we are no longer strangers and aliens. This is the part where I should say, look at your neighbor and say, you're not an alien, you're not a stranger. <laughs> Disclaimer, if you are in Christ. Eesh. All right? Number two, he says, remember we are family. So in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Number three, remember to keep the word of God as our foundation. In verse 20, he says, this church, this household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles, 
um, sorry, the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I enjoyed the words of R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul said, and I have it up there, that's why we must pay close attention to our doctrine of Scripture. The attacks launched against the integrity, the authority, the sufficiency, and the trustworthiness of Scripture are attacks not upon a side recess of this building. They don't put a dent in the roof of the church. They are attacks on the church's very foundation. To have a church without apostolic authority, without the word of God as its foundation, is to build a church on sand rather than on the rock. The foundation of the prophets and the apostles is necessary for the entire structure of the church to stand securely. So Central Baptist Church, if Christ is not at our center, if Christ is not our cornerstone and his word, our foundation, I want you to know that this church will collapse. Christ must be the cornerstone because he is the point that holds the foundation together. If you take out the cornerstone, everything falls apart. Verse 21 and 22, Paul says, In Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Christ will build his church. Let us remember that he must be at the center and his word is what we stand on. But how does he do this? This is my last point tonight. He builds his church through the local church. In verse 22, he says, In him you also are being built together into, dwelling, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God uses the local church as a vehicle for your sanctification. You need the church. The church needs your gifts. Do not neglect the church. The expression of the universal church is seen in the local church that gathers in different locations around the world. The only time you will see the universal church completely gathered is going to be on that day, that glorious day that we sang about tonight. But till then... We get glimpses of that in local congregations that gather together under the name of Christ. So by way of definition, the local church is a mutually affirming group of new covenant members and kingdom citizens identified by a regular gathering together in Jesus' name through the preaching of the, of the gospel and the celebrating the ordinances, which is the Lord's Supper and communion. Sorry, and baptism. So church, when we gather together as believers, the church is gathered. This does not end 
This does not fail to exist when this service is over. This does not fail to exist when we switch off the lights or when the doors are closed. Rather, the church lives full time as Christians carry out the occupation of the church during the week. Question, how's your full time service as a Christian during the week? In preparation to the sermon, I read a book that made a lot of helpful comments about the dangers of gospel communities we build today. And one of the main concerns in the book was that we build communities that can stand without the gospel all the time. We have good intentions, but we are building communities that can thrive regardless of the gospel. In fact, the the writer goes on to say, we are building communities that don't even need God. He says, the problem is that the tools we use to build community center on something other than the gospel. So these communities in and of themselves are not even gospel communities. Some of the examples he makes is we fall into the trap of building communities where we want only people with similar life experiences. We want to build communities of newlyweds. We want to build communities of only young working professionals. We want to build communities of singles clubs and maybe even just young people. Sometimes we build communities of people with similar identities, sporting clubs, ethnocentric communities, gender-specific groups, motorcycle churches. Sometimes we build communities of similar causes, feeding the hungry, building a school, combating human trafficking. These build community based on shared passion for a God-honoring cause, but these are not gospel communities. Sometimes we build communities of similar need. We get programs, program-based churches which build community by assembling people into programs based on the similarity of their felt need. Some people also build communities of people with similar social positions. Sometimes a ministry or an entire church only gathers the movers and the shakers of their society to make up the church. See, all these societies don't need God to thrive. We're gathering together as we would with friends because we have similarities. Although these things aren't bad in and of themselves, this is not what gospel communities are made of. These communities could continue to be built without God, but the beauty of the local church is that we have people from different ethnicities, different cultures, different religions. We have people from different life experiences, people who are in different social positions, people with different needs are able to gather together and unite and enjoy fellowship because of Christ. The common bond we have is Christ, and this bond far supersedes what blood and similarities can put together. You see, tonight, church, I want to remind you that any local church built on similarities will soon get stuck. It may, it may even lead to compromising on the truths of Scripture. It may experience conflict. It may split on these similarities because best believe, because there are sinners in the church, differences will start to surface and what brought us together, we'll actually notice, cannot keep us together. 
but it will actually keep us apart. So true gospel communities thrive because they center on the gospel. Many relationships develop in the local church that would have never been if it wasn't for the gospel. Have you ever sat and just read through your WhatsApps and you're just sitting there thinking, how am I even friends with this guy? We go to the same church together. I love this person. He's my brother in Christ, but we have nothing in common. (laughs) But it works. These relationships are counter-cultural because they even grow in their depth despite the absence of similarities. Why? Because the gospel is at the center. I love this image. I have an image up there, and it says, God invites us into a spiritual family of misfits and outcasts. He welcomes us into a home that's really what we want, yet it is just what we need. So practically, you cannot see the gospel because the gospel is truth. However, the gospel becomes visible in the living expression of the local church. The universal church becomes visible through the regular gathering of those who mutually affirm one another as believers through the preaching of the gospel and through the participation of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So friends, if you are a member of the universal church, you will want to join the local church. This is where our faith comes to life. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, Apostle Paul tells us that the church is God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God made us for good deeds. We exist as Christians for good works. Paul again in Titus 2 verse 14 teaches us that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify us for himself, a people of his own who are zealous for good works. So Jesus again in Matthew chapter 16, but in verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. See, God has given the local church the duty to safeguard the gospel. We need the whole body of Christ to help us to preserve the gospel. We need the diverse gifts. We need the diverse personalities, the diverse characters in the local church to hold us accountable. We need the church to discipline us as believers when we are caught up in our sin. We need elders to shepherd us, to feed us, to protect us as the flock because the wolves are prowling. But church... For you to enjoy all these benefits, you need to gather. So stay faithful to the local gathering. Do not forsake the assembly. John Piper would say the church, the new temple, is still under construction. Every day new stones are added. This new temple will not be finished until Jesus returns to consummate his kingdom. Christ is still building his church, not by adding cement, but by adding people who are the living stones that hold the church together. So if we here at Central want to reflect Christ well, 
We must be a church that welcomes whosoever walks through those doors. We believe as pastors and elders that it is God who adds to our number and we have the responsibility to share the gospel of Christ to everyone who walks through those doors. We have the responsibility to share our lives with those who are being saved in this little community of ours despite the differences that might surface. So as I close my challenge to you tonight, in fact, I'm pleading with you tonight, Don't attend Central. Belong to Central. Don't attend Central, but belong to Central. Don't be a consumer. Don't be a spectator. Commit to the local church. Commit to the people of the local church. Bring your spiritual gifts to edify the members of the local church. Don't be a spectator. Get on the field. Give of your resources. Give of your time. Give of your materials. Church, give of your life. But we're also talking, my third sermon of the series we'll talk about church hurt. But to close tonight, I want to encourage you, don't be put off by the mess that is in the local church. The presence of sinners in the local church means that it will be messy. It will be hard. You may even get hurt. You may get offended. Your preferences may be overlooked. But remember that God uses that very body for your sanctification. God wants to use you in your local church. He wants you to grow through the local church. He wants you to grow through the preaching of his word, through worshiping him in song, through the rebuke of fellow believers, through the discipline of the local church, and through the encouragement and the exhortation and the edification that is found in the local church. So to close, we are his people. We are his household. So let the church be the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I know that even as we sit here this evening, we've, we've probably heard thousands of sermons like this. Lord, I'm sure there are many who could also finish off my sentences as I was even saying it. But God, even as Brad said earlier this evening, God, we grow so easily familiar with things that, God, we no longer put the effort that you have called us to do. God, we get consumed by so many things that, Lord, we build something that is different from what you have called us to build. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would convict us, Lord, if we have been guilty of showing some form of partiality, if we are building a church that is segregated, I pray that you would forgive us of that. Help us, Lord, to build a church that centers on Christ and has your word as its foundation. Lord, not a church that's built on similarities because that church is built on sand. Lord, we want to be a church that thrives because of the gospel. So I pray for everyone who's here tonight that, Lord, they would look at the people to their right and to their left and, and, Lord, have conversations with them and have fellowship with them, Lord, and 
And as they find out that, hey, I'm a believer, and hey, I'm a believer too, that, Lord, those relationships would grow deep as we are members of the household of Christ. Lord, protect us, Lord, from even being superficial in our fellowship one with another. And as we go through this series, Lord, I pray that you would help us to even become a better church. God, the evening service is a completely different congregation from that of the morning. So, Lord, I'm speaking to the people in this room, people who are watching online. Lord, challenge us to be faithful in the gathering. And, Lord, challenge us to belong to the local church and not be spectators, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.